Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Hey, hey guys. Happy Wednesday. Back with a brilliant episode today. I am in the best mood ever this week. I am so loving the sunny weather. It's put me in such a good bloody mood. Literally everything just looks so much better when the sun's shining. I don't even begrudge like going for a run or just doing anything remotely productive. I literally am keen to do anything as long as the sun is shining. It just shows how much effect the sunshine has on your moods. Anyway, I digress. So getting back on topic, this week we're going to be talking about HIV. There's just way too much misunderstanding and fear around HIV, and I get on my soapbox about it all the time, as Jennifer knows, because she has like so many voice notes off me on Instagram. But I wanted to do an episode on HIV, educating and informing people. On a quick side note, I will apologise in advance because there are a few little sound glitches where we had some technical issues, understatement of the century. Um, So just to give you guys a heads up on that. So here's some little known facts. There's actually a plan B style drug medicine that you can take for up to 72 hours after possible exposure to HIV. HIV is not passed on in utero from the mother to the baby. And also, if your viral load is reduced to a low enough level uh, through like the relevant meds, then it can't even be detected in a blood test. So I've got Jennifer on today and she's going to be sharing both her journey and some knowledge and education for everyone that's listening. So, hey, Jennifer, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. So we've got you on the show today to discuss HIV and AIDS awareness. Um, Obviously, you are a big online advocate for HIV um, positivity and just educating people more. And I was really keen to get you on to discuss your life, your journey, and hopefully be able to share a little bit more about the virus and, and just sort of kind of helping to educate people really of course yeah so uh, thanks for having me on of course my, yeah my name is Jennifer Vaughn and um I'm just turned 50 this last August I'm a I still say single mother of three although I'm was married in 2019 <laughs> remarried but I'm a mom of three to uh three teenagers and I am a substitute teacher I'm working from home. I have been since uh, COVID started, kind of. I took a little bit of a break because I'm a substitute teacher, but back at work now, working uh, from my kitchen or living room, depending on where I want my computer in the morning, uh, sixth graders, which is really fun. And I live here in California with my three kids and my husband part-time because he's still a citizen in Montreal, Canada. And uh, we kind of have a long distance marriage. The plan is for him eventually to be here full time. But um, so that's um, about me. I grew up in California. I've always lived here. And um, uh, yeah, I had a big change in my life. Uh, My five year anniversary of my diagnosis was actually on Monday. So um, five years ago on February 15th, 2016 was when I found out that I had HIV. Lived 45 years without it. 
but a very different life since then. So how did it come about for you? So my understanding of the virus is that for about 80% of the people who are affected, they initially will get a sort of a flu-like illness. And then for some people then, you know, it'll come to light that they've got the virus for other people, actually, then those symptoms might dissipate and they could go on asymptomatically for years, not even knowing. Right. True. Uh, What happened to me is I started feeling ill about um, kind of in the beginning of 2016, had, um, I guess, flu-like symptoms in that I was really uh, achy and um, just not feeling right. Uh, just kind of feeling cruddy. That was the, and, and I was wanting to come home from work. This is when I was, you know, able to go into the classrooms because it was 2016 and I just want to come home and take a bath. My whole body was just aching. I kept going to the hot bathtub. That was like a real, um, part of my day for a while. I just couldn't like seem to feel better. And then I remember rolling over in bed and like my hip joints were hurting. And I thought I got to get a new mattress. Like my body's just aching all the time. And I had gone to the doctor, but um, the doctor's office that I go to is, it's called doctors on duty. And it's kind of like people call it a doc in the box. So when I go, I don't see the same doctor every time it's who's ever available. So I had gone three times in three weeks, basically for sort of the same nagging symptoms. And it seems to be getting worse. And by the third time I had gone, I had uh, started to have fevers and night sweats at the same time. And part of me was thinking in my head, oh, well, these night sweats are taking care of the fever. And it's like, my body's doing the right thing. I'm, it's trying to get through something and it's going to be fine. And it's just working on something, but they were persisting. And it was like, something's not, something's wrong. Like, I don't know what is going on. And I had been surfing. Uh, My husband got me into surfing at the time we were boyfriend, girlfriend, we'd been together for a year and I had been surfing here locally in California. And it's really cold during the winter, the water's freezing. So I thought maybe I got, uh, and plus there'd been stormy weather. And I thought the storms had churned up some kind of maybe parasite or uh, some kind of microorganism. Uh, in the water, I thought I'm, and I did remember swallowing water, uh, like I'd been hit by a wave like a month prior or whatever. And I thought maybe I just got a parasite in me and it's, I could, I could feel it head to toe, whatever was going on. I was not feeling good head to toe. And I thought it's a parasite. So anyways, I, you know, tell the doctors this and stuff and they, they do blood work on me, but not an HIV test, just regular blood work. And there was, there were abnormalities. There was like something was high and something was low. And I can't, I still to this day always forget unless I look at my paperwork, but it had to do with like red blood cells. My glucose was off and they said, it's abnormal. We're sending you to, um, an infectious disease doctor because at our facility, we don't know what's going on with you. We can't figure it out. So they sent me the next day. Um, and that doctor said, uh, okay, so I want to test you. And he was, he was concerned. Like I remember him sounding concerned and I remember exactly where I sat in that office and I was on the little, you know, bed with my feet hanging off the end. And he was sitting down in a chair, taking notes and said, can we test you for this or that? You know, we were talking about, um, uh, oh, the, in, what's the one with the, I forget the name, but all the different things we thought it might've been. Uh, well, of course I was concerned about cancer. Um, we were concerned about, um, oh, the high fevers. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the, the different, uh, diseases, but regardless, he had thrown an HIV in there. With the health insurance in America and life insurance and things like that. I mean, for 
people in the UK, I know that they do. It's one of the questions on life insurance. Have you ever had a HIV test? It's not even, you know, are you are you positive for HIV? Have you had a HIV test? And that affects the life insurance. Is that the same in, in the States? For life insurance? Hmm. Some say yes. Um, I haven't, I don't have life insurance, so I haven't looked into it. Um, Cause that's funny. Cause people off over here being tested. Yeah. I, I had been tested in 2011. That was the last time I tested. This was 2016. So it had been five years, but uh, so in that time is when I was, when I contracted it, but, but yeah, life insurance, I'm not, I don't know enough about it. I've heard that if the amount is under a hundred thousand, that it doesn't matter. There's no medical taken. So you wouldn't have to reveal that, but if it's the amounts higher than they could ask for that. So, um, so yeah, so he, he asked if he could take an HIV test with all the other, you know, testing that he was um, going to be doing and looking for anything lupus. And I, um, I, of course I said, yes, I, in my mind, it was a parasite. I didn't even think twice about it. So yeah, whatever, just test me for everything. Find out what's going on with me. So I go get the blood taken and I, about three or four hours later, um, I get a call from him and he just says over the phone, which was fine because, and a lot of people, uh, I obviously I did YouTube videos about this and people have said, oh, they never tell you over the phone. Yeah, he did tell me over the phone because I asked for him to call me and tell me as soon as you know something, please call. So he said, I don't really know how to tell you this. And this wasn't his specialty. He, he said, you tested positive for the HIV antibody. And I, I mean, it was like, I it couldn't have been more out of left field, even though he told me he was testing me for it. I, that wasn't in my mind at all. And at that moment, it was like, I, I, it was like my whole world stopped and it was the blackest, darkest moment I can ever explain to somebody. It was because to me, it had to be that, of course, the test just proved it. So that's, that's it. And this thought, the first thoughts are, my gosh, how long has this been inside me? HIV? What? Like this is, are you crazy like this is wow and at the same time I'm looking at my then boyfriend across the room who's like can tell look on my face my mouth is on the floor and he's looking at me like what what is he telling you and I, I look at him and I mouth HIV and he just looks at me like what and I'm like I know and I'm like you know I'm not a needle user of course, what do we see statistically who has HIV? It's mainly gay men and, and people who share needles for drugs. And I'm, you know, here I am. I mean, I get so much crap for this, but I am a white woman. I live in a suburban neighborhood. I have three kids. I don't fit the profile and statistically I don't. And so it was like, how did this happen? Oh my gosh. And so he didn't, he didn't believe it at first. Um, Eric didn't, he couldn't like wrap his brain around it. Um, I got off the phone with that doctor and he sent me to, well, I had to go through the evening with this new realization with no information to go on. I had nothing. I, I hung up the phone with him within minutes and I was left with this, you have HIV and you're going to see another doctor tomorrow. And that's all I knew. And I didn't know, um, well, now there's something you get your viral load taken and your CD4 count. So, you know, about like how your immune system is. I didn't know about those things at all. When I hung up with them, I got on the phone with a girlfriend who uh, is close to like the LGBTQ community in San Francisco. And she knew some friends who said, does she know her CD4 count? Does she know her viral load? And I'm like, well, what are all these things? Oh my gosh. And she might have to see a doctor in San Francisco. Didn't turn out that way. There's 
doctors right here where I live. So it all was fine. But um, yeah, so I went the next day and um, started treatment right away, which was my, uh, the doctor that I saw. It's kind of a long story, but he um, wasn't my primary doctor who I see now. I have an HIV specialist. The doctor that I saw was a, um, he was a, a not infectious disease. Yeah, he was infectious disease. And I saw him and he really didn't, he put me on some older medication right away. There's some things that weren't done right. He should have waited. Um, on checking my blood to see what I was sensitive and resistant to. So I started medication that shouldn't have happened. And little did he know at that moment that I was very close to um, starting all the symptoms for pneumonia. I hadn't at that point, uh, three days later, I had pneumonia. And then that's when I was um, given the official blood work that came back and I had an AIDS diagnosis. So it's like I had HIV which was like, oh my God, everything's horrible. And then a few days later, oh, and you also have AIDS. It was like two, like, like being punched in the gut twice. And I'm super sick on top of it. And I don't know what's going to happen with my life because everything now feels dark and bleak. And there's this new relationship that I have with this person who I'm madly in love with. Is he going to leave me? By the way, he tested the next day and he was negative. There's a lot I can say about why because he was totally exposed to me completely without condoms and he does not have HIV. So what was your viral load and the, the T cell counts? Yeah, my T cell count. So my viral load was 507,000. When that number was given to me, I remember thinking I'm the dirtiest, most disgusting human ever. Like I'm full of HIV head to toe, 507,000. I can't even comprehend that number. Although I know lots of people who have been in the millions. So it's like, and, and uh, yeah, so it, the number being so high, you equate with you being a disgusting whore, basically. I mean, that's how I felt. I felt like I was this whore and I had been a single mom who had dated and I had been out and I felt like this is going to show everybody just how bad I, I was and how, how gross I was. And that I had, I dated maybe too many people and maybe I didn't protect myself enough. And now everybody's going to know how gross I am. Like that was how I, those were all the thoughts that, that hit you right away. And I'm not a wholesome mom anymore. You know, like that, I don't get to have that title anymore. It's gone because now I'm associated with doing something bad in the bedroom that my kids didn't know about. And now it it's, it's affecting them. And that made me feel like a horrible mother. Like how could I have let this happen? And anyone that finds out is going to feel the same. They're going to think I'm going to be like the talking, you know, like everyone in this town is going to talk about me. Like, Ooh, what if, she, what was she doing? You know? So, and, and, and so it, I did end up finding out who um, it came from. I don't know if I should, you want me to get into that yeah, right now, but um, uh, that would be an interesting sort of topic because yeah. I'm wondering how you managed to then track that back. Well, so within 30 minutes of my diagnosis over the phone, it didn't take long. There was, you know, I had dated, I had dated lots of people I had. And, and that's I, the, that's the I was, an age we live in. So that's not abnormal. Right. And my, with my free time, which wasn't a lot when I didn't have my kids, I went on dates, you know, I didn't, I was a single mom. I was a, with three kids. I'm, I'm exhausted. Like when I want my, my free time as a single woman, I took it and I took advantage of it. And, and so anyways, I, there was somebody in my life who 
is considered high risk. And he had shared needles for drugs in the past in Los Angeles. He had been a boyfriend. He had lived with me. I was aware of his past. And he also had a um, fascination with transgender women. So there, it was a kind of a double whammy. Um, so he had been with me for, uh, he had lived here for eight months. He didn't know he had it at the time. Uh -huh. And I talk about this in my story on, on YouTube and a lot of people comments and say, oh, he knew, he knew because with HIV and stigma, everyone wants to believe that if you have it, you know it, and you're a horrible person and you go around and you give it to people because that's what people with HIV do. They're bad people. How long had you guys been separated and then for you to fall ill. Well, he, he, I, I kicked him out of my house and, and he had been sick. He had been sick the whole time he'd been here. He had diarrhea all the time and he thought he was dying of uh, colon cancer. I mean, we were in our, uh, what was I? It was about, he was probably around 44 at the time. And I'm like, you don't have colon cancer. And we had even talked about, we had even talked about HIV because we knew his background, but he, he thought he had tested in Los Angeles at the time before he got clean and he was pretty, pretty certain that he didn't have it. And so he said, well, Hey Jen, if you want me to test, by the way, he had no money. He was living here for free. He was basically mooching off a single mom and he was saying, and I was working and he wasn't, and he was going to be a big realtor and nothing ever happened. So anyways, um, I, he said, Hey, if you want me to test, I'm pretty sure I tested it. It's negative. But if you want me to test, you, you basically have to pay for it. I just took his word for it. We went and just kind of were in complete denial that it was possible. I don't know why looking back, it's so crazy because it was kind of staring at us in a way. So anyways, I kicked him out and uh, he was not feeling well at the time. And I guess three weeks later, he was really not feeling well. And so he finally went and got uh, tested and he tested positive. He tested positive and the clinic that tested him, he did the right thing. He gave my name and number to the clinic, which is what you should do or can do. And then the clinic will contact anybody who you've been in contact with sexually and will say, Hey, you've been exposed possibly to HIV. You should get tested. And that was all that anyone needs to do. You don't have to make these call calls yourself because it can be um, a, an issue of even um, somebody coming after you violently. So just to be, um, you know, for anonymous sake, that's how the best way it is to handle it. And so, but I never received that phone call. <laughs> and so I didn't, but at the same time, because people will say, well, hey, it was your responsibility to get tested anyways. And they're right, but I didn't. From the time we had broken up until my diagnosis, it was about two and a half years in between. Um, and so during that time, looking back, I had definitely had a lot of symptoms that had come because I, I looked at all the doctor's visits that I'd made during those two and a half years. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, all that time I'd been going for this and that and this sore throat and this esophageal pain and this horrible headache. And no one ever had an answer for anything. And I had, um, you know, I was smelling weird stuff. I was smelling cigarette smoke and all this weird stuff. And, um, it was all HIV related, had no idea until my diagnosis. So it was like putting these puzzle pieces together and going, wow, no one would have ever figured this out because I didn't fit this stereotypical mold. So no one thought of saying, Hey, have you tested for HIV? Because I just didn't fall into a category. You know, they see this woman come in with her three kids and I don't know, they just didn't think of asking and I didn't think of testing. So yeah. So I finally found out in 2016, by that point, and it just took two and a half years, it did become an AIDS diagnosis. And that can happen. People say, wow, that's way too soon, but it can. It, I mean, it happened to me. So it does happen. 
that it can take, it can turn into that kind of diagnosis that fast. So anything under 200 for an AIDS diagnosis for a T cell is like you as a healthy person without HIV, your T cells could be around 1500. That's sort of like a range 800 to 1500. Um, if you have HIV, of course, the virus attacks your T cells and those are your immune cells that help fight off illness. And if they're under 200, then you're in a category of somebody who could, you know, it could turn into an AIDS diagnosis, meaning that you're more susceptible to opportunistic infections. And that's exactly what happened to me. Mine was at 84, which made me totally susceptible to uh, pneumonia. And so that's what ended up being my opportunistic infection infection. And it was really bad. So I had HIV symptoms, uh, which were all the achy kind of feelings, the flu. And then I got pneumonia on top of it. It was a double whammy. And so then I had all the, flu, the um, pneumonia symptoms. So the having trouble breathing and fevers, and it was all kind of uh, mixed together. So it was a rough three weeks, but I got through it. <laughs> so basically what happened was is all of those really bad feelings that I was saying that I had about myself and um, what I thought of myself as somebody with HIV in the beginning and what my life would be at this point forward. And I felt like I was, it was a punishment. Like this is a punishment for being single and dating people while you're a mother. And I have herpes. I've had it since I was 18. So I wasn't concerned about getting herpes again. And I wasn't concerned about getting pregnant. So there you go. And I'm, and for me, HIV was like, that's not something that I'm going to get. And to be truthful, it really isn't something that I would normally get. And a lot of people follow my story and they think, oh, this woman got it. It must be so common. It, it's not. I'm this rare one who got it, but I decided to talk about it. And because I talked about it, then people think it's really common, but it's not, it's not. And it's rare in general. If you look up HIV in the United States, it's considered a rare condition compared to all the other conditions that are out there. It's not, it's not common. So, and especially to be a woman with HIV. So. Um, but as I started getting better with the medication, you know, it was a process. I started to realize that um, I, and I, I felt normal within three to four weeks, I was feeling normal. And I was like, this, this is what this is. I thought I was going to be sick every day. I thought I had to be sick every day. I thought the medication had to make me sick because it's part of the punishment. And as I felt better, I was like, oh my God, I feel normal. Like, this isn't that bad. Not that I want to have HIV, but people don't know this, you know, people don't know that you actually live a totally normal life. Like I don't do anything different. I feel no different than I did before I had HIV. I feel hundred percent normal now because my virus is, well, it's undetectable now. So the amounts of my system are so low that the test can't even find it. So it's like, it's kind of like, I almost don't even have it. I it's, I've done a video on that too, about the amount of virus, because people will think someone with HIV and they think HIV, it's everywhere, but it's, it's like this much, it's barely in me, but it's still there because obviously if I stopped taking the medication, it could, it would all come back. It, it's not something that happens overnight, but it would, um, it would eventually start replicating again. It would take over my body at some point. It would take a long time, but, um, but yeah, I'm undetectable and I don't feel anything. And, um, so with that realization and feeling better about, uh, myself, I thought I really want people to like, know what this is and 
and um, know what I went through kind of, because on Facebook, I had only told my friends and family who, it was just a group of 300 people at that time in my life. I didn't have much social media. So I had posted on my Facebook that I had had pneumonia because uh, what people were left with was a post of me showing all the blood work that I, I took a picture of like all these vials of blood at the hospital when they took them. And I said, I'm at the hospital having blood drawn. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then I went radio silent after that because I got my diagnosis like three hours later. And I was like, wow, I shouldn't have shared all that shit on Facebook because now everyone's wondering what's wrong with me. And I have HIV and I shouldn't have said that. My God, what am I going to say? So I didn't say anything for a while. And somebody said, Hey, you just went radio silent. Are you okay? Like what happened? And so I said, oh yeah, I ended up having pneumonia. I just said pneumonia. And I went with that for a while, but as I got better and the, you know, I started to see the light in the sky again. And I started to feel like myself again. I thought, you know, what do I have to be feeling so shamed about? Like, this is just a virus. Like I'm human. These are like viruses. We all have viruses. This one just has a different way of getting into your body, but it's still just a virus. Like, why am I feeling like I can't talk about this. And I had already told a lot of people. So people in my personal life. And I started thinking, okay, even though they were friends, like they know their neighbors and they know, you know, my kids, um, you know, friends, my, their parents might find out. It started to make me think like more people are going to find out because I've told maybe too many people that were close to me. I'd even told some neighbors because it was so, it was like absurd. Like, I can't believe I have HIV and I have AIDS. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, so to me, part of it was like a little bit of a shock value to people. Like, you're not going to believe this. I have AIDS. Like, you know, because I couldn't believe it myself. I'm like, um, whatever. So I like, part of me kind of didn't care that I told people, but as I felt better and, you know, started to feel more like myself, I was like, wow, people need to know what this is. And I think like, understanding like um cd4 counts and viral loads and all that was kind of cool and i thought it's like i like biology too and i thought i want to explain to people like what happened with my body and how it went it kind of shut down and how i'm coming i'm coming back to life and i feel good and and i can go work and all of this stuff so i i thought well it's going to be a long explanation so the only way to do it is to record it um and it's you know it turned out to be a half an hour long and I knew the only way to upload that to my Facebook friends was to put it on YouTube and then send them a link. And that was what I did. And within days, I started seeing that the number had risen of views past 300, which was all the friends that I had on Facebook. And I don't even know that they all watched it, but I remember it finally went past a thousand. And I like, I was like, who the, can I swear? Yeah, of course you can swear. <laughs> and anyone that knows me will laugh that you even asked that question, honestly. <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is watching my video? Like, what is going on? Who the fuck is watching this? And then I start seeing the comments are coming in from outside of the US. And I'm like, what the hell? And so, like I said, I had done that video for um, my friends and family on Facebook. But I also did it for maybe, maybe there's another woman out there who has HIV like me. And maybe I'll find her because I put a video out there and we'll connect. That would be so freaking great. Or maybe there's a woman that has no clue that she has it. And this will prevent her from going, going through what I went through. And she'll think about these symptoms or maybe uh, being with a high-risk partner and she'll think of testing. So all of those things and wanting to just clear up general myths about HIV and just telling people what it is today. And so I felt 
um, with Eric's blessing at the time, I said, would you mind if I do this and put it? And again, it was just going to be for my Facebook people. I really didn't think that this whole thing would happen on YouTube. I thought it would get some views outside of my regular personal range, but not to what it turned out to be. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, there's a lot of people writing to me and uh, they're asking questions. And I think I should do another video and answer those questions. And one thing just rolled into another and that was it. it. It started the YouTube channel, which was never my original intent at all. And it was like, oh, wow. And of course, back then, YouTubing was kind of a new, sort of like the new frontier. And I did watch some people, one skater locally that he's still doing quite well on uh, YouTube. And I thought what he was doing was really cool. And I thought, oh, my God, like, I'm going to do, do this YouTubing thing. Like, I'm going to see what happens. And so I just started, you know, going with it and talk about something that no one wants to talk about. It's considered a chronic manageable condition today. So I hate even using the word chronic because that sounds like I'm ill in some way and I'm not. Um, it's manageable. That's all it is to me. And I always say it's not a big deal. And people get mad that I say it's not a big deal. But I say that for those that are diagnosed. So they know what's coming, that they're going to be fine. And it's just going to be this thing that they won't even think of anymore. You just take a pill like a vitamin. You don't even think about it. I mean, I don't, my husband and I, you know, I do advocacy for HIV. Um, it comes up in our conversations about my advocacy and people who write to me, but me personally having it, we don't talk about it. We don't even care. Like it's not a part of our life. It's like, it's almost like it's this entity that doesn't, it like came and went. I mean, I take my pill. That's it. We don't, we don't even talk about it. Cause it's not, there's nothing to talk about because it's just nothing. It's removing the stigma. Like it's just a virus. The only actual issue is the stigma surrounding the virus. That's actually the most, I think the worst part about the virus. It's not the virus. Like you said, you got it. You got sick. You take your medicines as long as you, you stay on it's ARTs, isn't it? You, you have to take, stay on your ARTs and, and you know, you're good, you're stable, but it's all of that, that stigma that surrounds it. And, and even for you, when you got diagnosed, it, like you said, you were like, oh my God, like, I feel, I feel so bad. I feel so dirty. I feel like people are going to think I've been sleeping around. And it's like, oh my God, no, like absolutely not. The, the other thing I always think is, unfortunately, I think that people link it obviously to having sex. And then it's like, oh, well, you must have had to have slept with a lot of people to have contracted the virus. But it could just be one person. You just don't know. You just don't know. That's the point. And it's the same with HPV. It's the same with herpes. It's the same with hepatitis. All of these things are sexually transmitted. But all of a sudden, it seems to be more of an issue. Whereas if you got, I don't know, COVID, that's a virus. That, that's potentially deadly, but but it's not, there's not so much stigma. It's because it's it's predominantly transmitted through sex that all of a sudden there's this stigma. It's ridiculous. Men are made up totally differently. So men are, you know, I always, I know I shouldn't, but I kind of compare their penis to a foot. Like, how am I going to get HIV through a foot, you know? And so we're made completely differently. Women are internal and we get a lot more because of the way our anatomy is. And so, and how do men give it to men? It's through anal sex. I mean, it's through anal sex. That's it. So there's lots of tears. There's lots of rich blood supply. It's semen, it's blood. It's very easy to do that. And I will talk about it on a podcast, but I don't talk about it in front of my kids and they probably will never hear this podcast. But the person that I was with, that was part of our regular practice was anal sex. We definitely did that without protection. So I was exposed and I had herpes. I don't know that I was taking Veltrex at the time. So 
that can be more of an issue as well. I don't remember having any outbreaks when I was with them, but you never know what's going on internally. So that could have been part of it. But they say that increases your chances by like eight times as likely to come across it. The interesting thing though, and I will tell you also why um, uh, a little bit more about Eric not getting it, but um, the ironically, the person who gave it to me, his name was Eric also. Um, <laughs> but he, um, so when I got my very first symptoms, looking back when I was, um, he had left and three weeks later, two and a half, three weeks later, I had a rip roaring headache that I'm not a headache person for four days. Like it was the worst headache I've ever had. And at the same time, I was having this esophageal pain, like right in my solar plexus, like painful. And so I went to a gastroenterologist and, um, I told him about these two things and he, he was an older gentleman. He retired shortly after, but he said, just don't drink as much coffee. I'm like, well, I wasn't drinking. I had like a cup a day and I'm like, okay. And then those symptoms faded. They just went away. And looking back, those were my seroconversion symptoms. So this is the interesting thing. I had been with this person on a regular basis. He was living here for eight months. We were having regular condomless sex for eight months. He had HIV the whole time, active HIV without any medication. I truly believe that I did not contract this from him until the very end of our relationship, meaning I had been exposed in the most risky way possible for eight months. And I am like 99.9% .9 sure that I did not contract it for eight months. Like that's how difficult it is to get it into one person's body from another person and have it, it flourish in the other person's body. It, so it is this perfect storm that has to happen really. And I, and I know there's people that it happens on the first time it can, but I, it just shows that like I was exposed over and over and over. And I, I really truly believe it didn't happen till the end. And then as far as Eric, my Eric, who didn't get it, you know, we, he was exposed to me when I had AIDS. I mean, I didn't know that I had AIDS at the time, but we still were sneaking in time together, even though I wasn't feeling all that great. So he was at with me when I had a very high viral load and you know, the person that gave to me, cause I did contact him. He said before my Eric um, got tested cause I got a hold of him and stuff. He said, he's not going to have it. He'll never get it from you. Like he knew that he's like, women just don't transmit it. It's so uncommon. And through advocacy and through women I've met who have reached out to me through my YouTube videos, <laughs> it's hard to talk about because it puts a lot of stigma on um, bisexual men or men who have sex with men um, in private and secret, but they live hetero lives. So that's a lot of how we're at risk. Um, and, but basically I don't see that women transmit it back. It's very, very, very rare. It can happen. It's like things can happen. Of course, there's always a possibility that the man has uh, a venereal disease that he's unaware of or, or isn't being treated for. And it could create some kind of like open mucous membrane. And if a woman had a very high viral load, it's possible that it can happen. Sure. I don't think that it's impossible, but I, odds are that a woman transmitting to a man are very, very uncommon. So, and, and coming across a woman who has HIV, I get people who reach out to me all the time who are so concerned that if they, you know, have, are with a woman that they don't know that she probably has HIV. It's like, no, she probably doesn't. The odds are very, very low that you're going to come across a woman with HIV and then, okay, so let's say you did, like oh, the odds of you getting it from her are like incredibly rare. So you keep putting all those odds together and it comes up to like, you know, good luck. Like this isn't going to happen, but I tell you, hetero men worry more than anybody. And it's very interesting to me because they are not truly at risk. And then what I was, I wanted to just say something really quick about 
the fact that people will think because I have HIV, that must have meant that she slept with so many people. And so she deserved it kind of. And I used to take that information and think, oh, well, they want people to know how many people I slept with. But you know what? Maybe it was a lot. Who cares? I can go fuck somebody every night if I want to. Fuck somebody every morning and every night. I don't deserve HIV. Nobody does. We're sexual human beings. We are allowed to have sex as much as we want with who the fuck ever we want. And that doesn't make me a bad person, you know? And so I've learned that through advocacy. There is a shame that you hold about your number or that you didn't use protection or that you're a mom. I have needs too. I'm human, you know? And, and people can take that. A lot of, you know, what comes into this is morals and religion and people will think, oh, what a whore or whatever they want to think. But you know what, when it all comes down to it at the end of the day, we're all human. We all got here the same way. And there's, there's so much shame, sex, so much. And there shouldn't be. I look at my girlfriends, I would say, and for all of my single girlfriends or my girlfriends who used to be single, maybe now they're settled down, they're all on the pill. No one really uses condoms. They're like, yeah, I'm on the pill. I'm good. Um, it, <laughs> people just kind of get on with it. I, you know, and, and that is just, and it actually, unfortunately, if you say to the majority of people like, oh, you know, do, do you like condoms? No. Who likes condoms? They're horrible. They feel terrible. They're the worst, you know, they suck. That is the long and short of it. So you can understand why if you're fixed and you're on the pill or you've got a coil or, or whatever it is, why you might be like, oh, sod it. It's fine. I'll just go for it. Because HIV isn't common, like you said. You you kind of assume, and maybe wrongly so, but you do assume as a straight woman generally that you're also sleeping with a straight man. Not always, you know, and I get that, but it kind of just is what it is. And yeah, and going back to the thing, it's the number game is kind of irrelevant. First of all, we live in a day and time where everyone sleeps with everyone and sex really isn't that big a deal at all. And you could catch anything from sleeping with one person or a million people. It's it's irrelevant. It's so true. I mean, yeah. And it's, there's just this shame that goes along with the virus. And that's really why this has continued to have so much stigma is because it's been related, unfortunately, and it is related because of anatomy and because of how it's transmitted more so to gay men. And so they get a bad rap, of course, because, and it's, it's unfortunate, but that it's because of their physiology and how they have sex that it made it more possible for this virus to get in from them to another person. And then of course, for women, we're built, you know, we're, we're the uh, receptive partner. And so it's more, you know, it, it's common for women to get it. Um, and, and that has nothing to do with them being gay and them being um, it, it, like, it's like a punishment. It has nothing to do with that, but it looks that way. Yeah, and it looks that way to somebody who maybe is bisexual, it's unfortunate, but there is a lot of stigma that goes along with, um, with the virus. Yeah. It's, it's like, that's all I deal with. And I, you know, I, I talk about it constantly in my advocacy and it's really the virus itself is so controlled. You're almost cured. So it's really, it has nothing yeah. to do with the virus and the medication is like, I don't feel anything from it at all. Nothing. So, uh, what is left there's left. is just what people think of me because I have this virus. It's like, 
So if I had a flu, you would have this like same feeling to like, come on. And, you know, some people don't share their diagnosis. Like, obviously I'm open about it or whatever, but some people are like, well, yeah, like, do I have to share that? I, Cause you know, as an undetectable person, we can't transmit the virus. That's the other thing that I found out during my journey with all of this is that you're not able to transmit it once you're undetectable. And that goes for anything. You can have the bloodiest anal sex. I don't mean to be gross, but you can have condomless sex. It can be full of tears and semen and blood and they won't transmit it. A, a, a gay man with, that's undetectable cannot transmit it. Um, Cause I'll, I'll talk about being untransmittable and that you can't transmit it. And people will say, well, you still have to wear a condom though, right? <laughs> like, no, you're not getting it. Like you don't have to wear anything. You can do whatever you want. It's complete, complete utter freedom. There's no concern. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, as soon as I found out about being undetectable, it changed, uh, that part of the stigma and it has, it's like made people feel so much better because they always felt like they were this threat to their loved one that they wanted to be with. So, you know, there's still, there's still so many people in the world with HIV right now that have no idea who have lived with it for years that still don't know that they are, when they're untransmittable, they can't transmit it like that is, um, or undetectable that they can't transmit it. It's a, uh, we're still trying to get the word out there about it, but yeah, it's, it's a big, amazing, um, I don't know, so much of a study or a realization. They kind of have known it all the way back to the beginning of the virus. They, they always knew that once your viral load was low, that you were less, uh, there was less of a chance of you transmitting. So in 2018, I was at AIDS, uh, 2018 in Amsterdam and Fauci was there talking about U equals U. And he said, we always knew, like I was just saying, I was like literally a hundred feet from the guy who was speaking to the audience. He said, we always knew that viral loads when they were low, the odds of transmitting were lower also. He said, but they just needed the studies to prove it. And so they got the studies mm -hmm. and it was basically, um, you know, over a hundred thousand sexual encounters between somebody who was positive and undetectable and their partner was negative. And they had condomless sex and they kept track of how often, and they did this for years with many different studies. I think there was five altogether and over a hundred thousand, you know, encounters, sexual encounters between them uh, and nobody got it, not one person. So it was, um, you know, it proved it beyond a reasonable doubt that, um, not reasonable doubt, it proved it completely <laughs> that you can't transmit when you're protectable. So yeah, people will say, well, there's still a, a chance. And um, Bruce Richmond, who is basically the, uh, the director of U equals U, he's the founder of the movement. He says, well, yeah, there's a chance that your head could spontaneously explode. Like there's always that chance, <laughs> you know? And so that's what we compare it to. And we basically say U equals U is as safe as abstinence. That's it. So if you know somebody mm. who's HIV, who's undetectable, and we know we're undetectable because we go and get our blood work done and nothing changes. I've been doing this for five years, taking a pill and going to the doctor, getting my blood work done every three months. It's always the same. It's always undetectable. It doesn't like all of a sudden the medication stops working and you're just all of a sudden you have HIV all over again. That just is not a thing. So, you know, and, but people do, if, if you're an HIV negative person and you're not living that life, I can see why you'd think that. And I, I honestly think it's a, a very hard decision as an HIV negative person to trust that. I get it. I think that that would be, I don't know that I could do it. Like I live it, so it's fine. And Eric lived it. Um, we lived it as an experiment before we even knew, obviously, because it was one year of us having unprotected sex without even realizing I had HIV and he didn't get it. So we already kind of felt like, oh, well, hell, if you didn't get it then, well, you're obviously not gonna get it when I'm undetectable. So for him, it was a no brainer, but 
I understand for people who are HIV negative, it's a hard concept to take, especially when you're concerned about your own health. It's, but it, it really is, it really is true. And the science supports it completely. For me, if I fell in love with someone and they said I'm HIV positive and undetectable, it's kind of irrelevant. Like you said, it, it really isn't a factor. It's the same as having a multitude of other things that, you know, unfortunately you got it, you take the pills, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And that goes straight back to the same thing of educating, educating, educating. If people are educated, it removes the fear. It's the lack of education that is causing this fear. My daughters um, recently went through a health class in high school and, you know, they said they maybe learned like five minutes of HIV in a textbook. Like there's just no great explanation. And I get it. There's so many other things they have to tell them. Um, So there's not... Unfortunately, there isn't a lot of education about HIV. What do, what do people have? They have Google and that terrifies people because the information on Google is atrocious. It's really, it's just scary. And um, as uh, for me, I, I had YouTube also that was available to me at the time, but all I found for YouTube was sad. It was sad videos, of people with HIV. It was people disgruntled and I didn't see anybody being positive about it at the time. I just saw these stories of anger and I hate this person who gave it to me. And it was really so depressing. And I'm like, this is all, this is just the worst. Like, I don't, I want to like tune into somebody who can show me some freaking hope. Cause this is like depressing. So, you know, I thought about that. I think about that a lot when I make my videos, I want people just to see that, you know, this isn't this horrible, you know, a virus that, that it used to be. And, you know, I don't want to downplay it either because for a lot of people, it is horrible because of the stigma and it does affect their lives. That, that, that is for sure. This stigma does affect people and some family members won't ever talk to them again or let them in their house or let them hold their niece or nephew, or they lose their job for unknown reasons. You know, that is for sure. There is a lot of stuff that goes on with HIV. Thankfully, I'm really lucky and it hasn't affected me. I am one of the lucky ones. So when I say that this is so easy, I, I mean it because my journey has been easy. Really it has, but there are people that are dealing with so much more than I have. There's violence associated with HIV. There's transgender women who are, you know, beat up and killed probably every day because they're HIV positive and because they're transgender, it's really awful. Like the rates are astounding. So there's a lot that comes with HIV just, and it's all based on stigma, but all that stigma does affect people in really, really awful ways. So as much as I, you know, try to show that it can be this, this really nothing thing uh, for some people, it's definitely, I can't, you can't forget about that. There are people that are, you know, heavily um, affected by the stigma. And it's really awful that again, it's, it's the stigma, not, not the virus, it's the stigma. And it's so frustrating. I mean, when I started looking online, it, uh, what kind of led me to sort of, I guess, take more of an active interest. It, like I said, it's not something I've ever really, I've, I've never really thought about it. I've had HIV tests myself when I've gone for STI tests, you know, as you do when you're sort of just checking your sexual health and, yeah. you know, you've done that with different partners or, or whatever, but it's not something I ever really thought about. I knew a little bit about it. I've never really been, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's not something I'm overly concerned about and it, it would never deter me from, from dating someone. What really got 
everyone talking over here recently was a TV show. I don't know if you had it over there. Um, it was called It's a Sin. And um, it was about when the HIV virus first came about. I keep getting messages about it. In fact, I just posted, I uh, reposted on my HIV account on Instagram from that show yesterday. I haven't seen it though. It's, uh, <sighs> there's there's genuinely no words. It absolutely, it was, I think, five episodes um, between me and my my group of girlfriends. We watched it several times. I cried my eyes out the way that people were treated back in the eighties. And it it, it was disgusting. It was inhumane, absolutely inhumane, but it kind of got us all to talking because it became quite a big topic of conversation then. And it was one of my girlfriends that said to me, obviously knowing that I do the podcast, well, what about women that are affected by HIV? Never hear any stories of that, do you? And I was like, No, you don't. And that's what made me start looking. And like you said, actually, when you start looking, unfortunately, and and quite sadly, it's a lot of negativity. And and that was the thing that really drew me to to your account was the positivity. You were like, yeah, hell, I got it, whatever. Like I take my tablets, I'm all good. I live my life. Granted, it is predominantly, predominantly, the statistics say, gay gay males or bisexual males that that are affected, but it doesn't pick. It's not like, it's just a virus, like, and it affects humans. So it's not like, eh. and that's what I kind of, that was the only, I mean, obviously I know that that was the angle that the show was supposed to be coming from, but that's what me and my friends were sort of discussing. And and it was, it was my best friend that went, what's it like for a woman? What's it like for a woman finding out? She was like, why is it always gay men, gay men, gay men. She was like, I'm, I'm interested in other stories as well. And, and like I said, that's when I, I really started, got to looking and, and like, like you said, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff online is sad, yeah. angry. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is really, you know, it's very, very confronting. And I thought, okay, there's, but, but it, like you said, it's very manageable. It's, you know, it doesn't, to me, maybe I'm being, I don't know, small minded. I'm not too sure, but I'm not trying to downplay anything, but I also think that you can have HPV and that for me, I lost my housemate. She had HPV. It turned into cervical cancer. She passed away. Like she caught that through having sex. She she didn't know the, the person she got it off didn't know. She probably then gave it to other people and she was just very unlucky that it, it mutated and she just didn't catch it in time. But anyone can get ill from anything and you can't, Right. We're human. Yeah. You're just human. And, and like the thing that one thing that I'm, I don't know if you know about this, maybe you do, maybe you don't. One thing that I was really, really loving uh, back in um, November, 2019, uh, just before World AIDS Day, a clinic in New Zealand um, got open for um, sperm donors for HIV positive males. And I just thought this is brilliant. This is like groundbreaking almost to the point. And I feel like it's taken a long time, sadly, for it to get to that stage when actually it's a very manageable condition. But I just think it's really that for me, I was like, okay, now I feel like it's starting to change. They've also allowed, I'm not exactly sure where it was, if it was the UK or the US, but they've allowed uh, gay men to also start giving blood again in some parts of the world where they were, they were banned. So that, that also has changed. And do you know that HIV isn't transmitted from semen to a baby? That doesn't, that's not even a thing. So this, this not even letting gay men donate or HIV positive men donate their sperm is 
ridiculous because that isn't how it's trans. It can't, it's an impossibility. And most people don't understand that babies that are born with HIV get it through the birthing process. They don't get it in their mother while they're, you would think, of course, they're inside this woman who has HIV. That's how they're going to get it. It's not, they're protected inside the womb. It's during the birthing process. And I only learned that like a few years ago from somebody who's HIV positive. She's a twin and she came through the birth canal and so did her twin brother. She got it. He didn't because she was the unlucky one. She got, it goes in through their eyes. They're very susceptible babies because their immune systems are weak and there's, you know, it can get in through their nasal passages. It's kind of crazy, but those are things that wouldn't happen to an adult because we have stronger immune systems, but, um, babies um, generally get it through the birth canal, not through being in the mother's womb. Although I do know a woman who had a placenta issue during, um, during while she was pregnant with her child and her daughter did get it. And while in utero, because of this placenta issue, there was, she had bled. So that was how the baby got it. Um, but in general, it's through the birthing process. So there's a lot of like things that like I'm learning along the way. And of course, breastfeeding is, highly infectious because of the amounts of breast milk that they drink versus like, um, you know, a, a semen inside someone's vagina is like the amount is so small versus a baby gulping, 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 you know, everyday cups of milk full of HIV. And so, yeah, that it's, that's how, unfortunately, um, women who are untreated can transmit it through breast milk. So um, because an adult can swallow semen and with HIV and they're not going to get HIV that way. You don't get it from swallowing it. It's like the virus is so weak. It just disin it not disintegrates, but it can't survive it through your gastrointestinal. It, that's not how I remember when I first was diagnosed, somebody had told me at an, uh, AIDS, um, service organization, she goes, you could drink gallons of infected semen and you won't get HIV. That's not how it's transmitted. So I was like, well, that was a light bulb moment for me because I had no, really? Wow. So I've always remembered that fact, but for babies, it's different. And um, yeah, they don't have the research yet to confirm that U equals U is a hundred percent safe for breastfeeding. And it all kind of, they, they go by risk factors um, really mainly like where you live, what's the water supply like? Is it safer for them to like, if you put in risk factors, is it safer for them just to breastfeed if you're undetectable versus drinking you know, formula that isn't with clean water or, you know, they, they try to factor in what would be a better um, option for the mother and the baby. But I know that for like the U.S., they pretty much say no. So, Jen, can you tell us a bit more about the Plan B style drug that's actually available, but for HIV? Because I really don't think many people know about this at all. Yeah, it's it's called PrEP. Um, it's typically prescribed to people who are in high risk, um, who have high risk sex, meaning they are or they're in a high risk situation for HIV, meaning they have, are more than likely a gay male having unprotected sex, likely a bottom. So they're the receiver, um, but it could be, you know, just gay men who prefer not to use condoms. So that's high risk for sure. And that would be a absolute yes, get them on prep. Absolutely. Um, if you're a needle user, it's just a pill a day. So it's a pill. It's called Truvada and it's just a pill. Um, some people don't like the side effects. I don't know a lot about the side effects, but then, you know, that will keep somebody maybe from taking it. Um, it's the same medication for if you felt that you had an exposure to HIV, you have a window of three days, 72 hours to get to a medical facility, say, I feel like I had an exposure and they will put you on that exact same medication, Truvada, but they call it in that case, PEP. So it's post-exposure prophylaxis, where if you're taking it on a regular basis, 
you know, and as a precautionary um, drug, you know, for having unprotected, unprotected sex, it'd be called, it's a pre-exposure prophylaxis. So um, PrEP is for somebody who wants to just have some free loving, you know, who could possibly be exposed to HIV. And then post-exposure is, you know, somebody like in a medical setting who might've had a needle stick or somebody who was raped or somebody who just didn't know the partner and they felt really uneasy about it later. And they just were really concerned and they went and wanted to try it. And how long would they need to then take that medication for? Post, I think it's about six weeks and then they would test. It's somewhere from a month to six weeks. Um, and as long as you're in that 72 hour window, uh, I hear that it's nearly a hundred percent effective. It just, it stops any kind of replication from happening. So if you were truly exposed and the virus made it into your body. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing medication for sure. How did your, how, how did your family actually, how, how did they take it when you had to tell them? How did you tell your children? Well, I, I think I called my mom right away and she was like, Oh my what? Like they were in, like, they wanted more tests done. They just couldn't believe it. It couldn't be possible. Um, so there was a lot of just that initial denial, like, there's just no way they've got to do more testing. And I was like, mom, I've got all the, the symptoms all make sense. And I tested positive. Like, I don't think this is wrong. Like I'm sick. Something's wrong. Like this has to be right. So it kind of took me more convincing them, you know, and then everybody, you know, became educated along with me. I did, there was no one in my family who rejected me or said, you know, oh my God, you're so terrible. You know, like I didn't get any, any of that. It was nothing but support in fact. And then as far as my kids, they were um, 15, 12 and seven at the time. So for my 15 year old and my 12 year old, I mean, they got it. They knew who I got it from. They understood. And my 15 year old really was the one who said, mom, she looked it up on the internet that first within those first moments of me finding out and said, you know, people don't die from this today. Like she Googled it. I was too sick to even look at my phone. I couldn't even look. And she was like, mom, people don't die from this today. Like, I think it's like, it's like not not that bad anymore. And, you know, I didn't know. I was like, I, I thought maybe I had five years to live. I had no idea what the prognosis was. Yeah. And, and, um, she really was the first one to look it up as far as my son who was really little. I mean, he knows now I'm sure we don't really kind of like specifically say he's 13 now, but I think at the time I tried to explain it like a Pac-Man game. And I said, the medication is like, you know, like Pac-Man, it's eating up all the ghosts and it's like clearing up my body. And like, right now I'm full of like ghosts, like basically. And so, yeah, he under, he understood that he was, they just wanted to see their mom better. They didn't really get what they didn't get the stigma for sure. They just knew mom was sick and they wanted me to feel better. So that was pretty much how that went, but yeah, it's not a taboo word in our house. We, we jokingly talk about HIV because we can, because it didn't affect me, you know, in a bad, bad way. I mean, yeah, we joke about it, you know, like Joe, Joey will say, Oh, don't touch me. Don't give me your HIV. You know, I mean, we stuff like that, you know, it's like to us, we just like, it's not a big deal at all. Did you obviously, because you have been quite open, there is a lot on social media was out of curiosity and I can cut this part out as well if you want but was there any backlash with kids in your kids schools or parents in your kids schools um strangely enough no I really I think um I've subbed you know kinder to senior year in this in this um, area for 12 years now so I've you know I feel like I know everybody around here and um but yeah a lot of high school kids uh, follow my channel they're very aware of it 
uh, but I've never had anything bad said, nothing. Like I'll be in the grocery store and might even say, oh, you remember when I had AIDS? You know, I almost do that sometimes just to see if somebody will turn around. Like, what did she just say? <laughs> Cause I, you know, like, I don't want to feel ashamed about talking about it out loud. You know, it should be okay to talk about it. With, uh, and again, going back to educating myself as much as people listening. So with, obviously you, you start off with HIV, then as your T cell count becomes lower and lower, that then get, that sort of leads to AIDS. But I didn't realize that at that point, AIDS is then reversible back with medication. Is there a point with AIDS where there is, no reversing back no it can always i know people who had t-cell counts of uh one and and they came back and their t-cell count is normal now and that it can be yeah i can it's a funny thing though like i will not say that i have aids i say i have hiv that's it i don't say i have aids anymore because to me my connotation of aids is someone who's very sick which is true i mean i was really sick so now that I'm out of the woods and I'm healthy and I don't think about like, I, I'm not susceptible to opportunistic infections. I don't say that I have AIDS, but AIDS is an, it's a word that people from, I'd say probably from the earlier days when there wasn't treatment, it did go hand in hand. They, and people will still refer to someone with HIV as, you know, you don't want to get AIDS from them. It's like, you can't give someone AIDS. That's not, I can't give somebody pneumonia. You can only transmit HIV. So I, that always is interesting to me, but, uh, people from, uh, it always feels like it's people that were diagnosed like earlier in the eighties and nineties. Right. But I won't say that I have AIDS anymore. Cause I, to me, I, well, I don't, you know, my CD4 count is 500. It's been roughly around that for a long time. I'm like, I'm not one of those who's bounced back up into the 900 range, but I, I'm never, ever sick. I'm just not a sick person. It's like very rare for me to have even a cold. So um, people always say, Oh, do you have to be more careful? Yeah. No, I don't do freaking anything different. I am a he- healthy human because I, I am a healthy human. I always have been, I like eat well, and I don't drink, I don't do drugs and, um, I exercise and all of those things are things humans should do in general. And that's what I do. And it, it I don't do those things because I have HIV, HIV is not like even a thought in any of those parts of my life. That's just who I am. And, and, um, I don't know, I, HIV doesn't affect me in any way, you know, and I, I don't know if I explained enough about the virus, um, and why I'm not cured versus undetectable. So what's left is, uh, there's part, there's particles of, of the virus that are in parts of the cells that the medication cannot reach and it's, they're dormant. And so the, if the medication could get it, get into these little canals, um, then, then there would be a cure, but because they cannot get in to these little canals, I always envision a cannoli. I don't know why. And I see the virus sucked up to the side of the cannoli inside. Like you cannot see me. And the, the medication goes like with a flashlight, are you in there? And they can't get to it. And then they're all, all right, we're leaving. We don't see anything. And the virus is still sucked up against the side going, they didn't see us. They didn't see us. And then, but if they walk away and that medication doesn't keep coming back with the flashlight, they go, you, you know what? We're getting out of here. Let's go out of there and start doing this again. So that's like, that's how I see it in my head. They're just these parts of the virus that are so, there's so few of them left, but the medication just can't reach them. So because of the, this, they hide in these dormant parts of the cells. Can you maybe just to help remove 
a little bit of stigma and give a little bit of a better understanding and education to take us out for the show today. Can you maybe give us the ways that HIV are most commonly transmitted and then break those stupid myths about like, oh, don't share a toothbrush because, you know, you're going to catch HIV. Like, it's ridiculous. There's all these silly things out there and just, but people don't know. They don't know. It's amazing when you speak to people that they just don't know. Oh, this is so good. This is such a good one. Okay. So HIV is sexually transmitted through, um, sexual means. And that does not mean kissing. No, it's not through kissing. So an oral sex, I'm going to say is more than likely a no, but people will freak out about oral sex. And the only way that that could possibly be possible is from a man ejaculating into someone's mouth. And then that person would have to have something bleeding possibly, even in that case, I think it's incredibly rare. And it will say online that it's um, very unlikely or extremely rare. So I almost want to say that, you know, oral sex shouldn't even be counted. So it's basically um, anal sex, vaginal sex. Um, it can happen through the birthing process from mother to child through, uh, breastfeeding. It can happen through, um, no longer an issue, but through blood donations. And then it can also happen through needle usage for drug use. How it cannot happen is through hugs, kissing, sharing food, sharing toothbrushes, sharing razors, um, sharing, um, straws you can drink after somebody, none of these ways. And somebody had reached out to me and they thought that they had it. And they were so worried that their roommate had showered after them and were, they were certain their roommate had it. First of all, this person didn't have it. And even if he did, he couldn't have given it to somebody in the shout. And I said, okay, so, and people will find out that they're positive and they'll say, how can I protect my family from getting this from me? And I'm like, well, unless you're having sex with them, with them <laughs> and you're not, you're not on treatment. I don't, there's nothing to worry about. I don't know. There's nothing. And I remember when I was first diagnosed, someone had said to me who just wasn't educated enough, but it always stuck with me. They said, well, I'm sure it's fine for you to still work with small kids as long as you don't, you know, uh, handle like them if they get like a cut or whatever. And I remember thinking, wow, is that true? And like, looking back, I could see how they might've thought that, but that is not true. I can help a little kid with a cut on their finger. And even if I was bleeding, I can't transmit that to them. Even if they had, this is another one, cuts on the hands. People think all the time that they might've touched somebody. It might've been on a toilet seat. It might've splashed up from the toilet and and touched their, they might've had an open cut on their leg, or they might've had a scab on their hand and maybe the water touched the these are all absolutely irrational fears about HIV. This is not how it's transmitted. The virus cannot survive outside of the body at all, not even for a second. So um, yeah, I like to clear those myths up because they are very common and they're, they're very real to people and people literally, they can't function because they think they've been exposed in these really odd ways that are just not even logical. I love it, honestly, because I that is these are the messages that need to be spread. And I actually love reading all of these kind of crazy posts that come in on your stories. And you're just like, absolutely not. And even when I'm reading them, I'm just thinking, why would you? Why? What? Like, I don't even understand how your brain works for you to think that that could even be a potential issue. And I like the fact that you say for nearly all of the messages that you get in, 
look, most of you guys don't have HIV. You're all freaking out that you've got HIV, but you don't really have HIV, you know, and it, it kind of puts everything to bed. But so anyway, I will, I will let you go. Finally, I've really enjoyed talking to you, even with all the technical issues. And thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on and just chatting with us today, giving us your story and educating us. I'll, um, I will literally, I will put everything down, your, you know, your Instagram, your YouTube channel, your podcast, just so that people who want to hear a little bit more or learn a bit more or just educate themselves, like seriously, there's a wealth of knowledge out there that you were providing for people to educate themselves. And that is the best, best thing about your platforms is that education. Because like you said, Google, don't do it. No, <laughs> don't do it. You go to dark hole and and it's either wrong or it's sad or it's negative that's, or that was completely the completely exaggerated education is, is key and I try to give them everything that I know that's that that I've learned over the last five years also well thank you so much again Jennifer and I will catch you online soon you too bye Danny Thanks for tuning in as always, guys. If you enjoyed today's episode, then don't forget to subscribe. And if you could also hop on and leave a star rating and a review if you're on Apple, then I would be heaps grateful. If you want to connect with Jen or learn more on HIV awareness, then hop on over to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on Instagram, where you'll find Jennifer and all of her social media platforms tagged on the grid. Whilst you're there, don't forget to give us a follow to stay up to date on show topics and some cool up and coming events we've got up our sleeves. Next week, I've got Terry and Lee from the Men Cave podcast on with some real talk. And they're going to be chatting about male mental health, conflict and communication in relationships, why men are sex mad and sometimes cheat, porn, fatherhood. And also they're going to be answering the questions that you guys sent in on the Instagram poll. It's an absolutely brilliant show. You don't want to miss it. It is the perfect mixture of both education and laughs. Have an absolutely awesome week and let's hope the sun keeps on shining for all of us. Catch you guys soon.